0: And welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard. I'm director of ECFR. And this week, we're talking about the new German coalition treaty, which was presented by a traffic light government that was announced at a special press conference in Berlin. The talk at that press conference with Olaf Scholz, Christian Lindner, Annalena Baerbock, Robert Harbeck, and the two leaders of the SPD, Saskia Eskens and Norbert walter was not really very much about foreign policy. But that's why we want to take a closer look into how many pages has the document got? More than
1: 170?
0: Into the 170 pages. Oh, more than 170. More than 170 pages of the, of the treaty. And I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by an all-star cast. Um, who will help us make sense of both what 's in the treaty what 's not in the treaty and what it tells us about the future of Germany as a European foreign policy power so to help us make sense of that, we have um, Janke Ertel who is head of ecfr 's asia program and we 're in fact recording this from her apartment and um, and jana Pulierin, who 's head of ecfr 's berlin office and She is the best prepared of all of us because she's been carefully going through the 176 pages with many coloured pens underlining all of the key bits and will help us understand (laughs) the meaning of it for European foreign policy. So thanks so much, Janka, for inviting us to record this spontaneous episode um, while we're all together. But before we come to you, why don't we go to Jana, who's the the biggest swat of the three of us, Do you think the title of the coalition treaty, Mehr Fortschritt wagen, to dare more progress, will also apply to German foreign and security policy?
1: Yes, Mark, um, I think it will. I think the coalition treaty is a carefully crafted balance between a lot of continuity, um, because... As Germans, we don't do revolutions, but also actually um, some some new ideas and um, a lot of new spirit when it comes to dealing with the great powers, particularly with Russia and China. And um, yeah, I, I think actually we have some very strong new ideas um, in there. Um, we have a strong emphasis on um, the values of democracy, how to defend democracy versus autocracies. Um, and I think this kind of systemic rivalry that we see at the horizon or that we see a kind of a fully at, at full display against China, against China and Russia um, is something that is very much mirrored in the coalition treaty.
0: OK. So, obviously, um, the SPD was in the last coalition. The big new features are the Green Party and the FDP. But the Green Party is the, the newest arrival. It's, uh, it's been a long time since the Green Party was in government. And there's a lot of speculation that Annalena Baerbock will become the next German foreign minister. What do you think that she and her party are going to bring to this new government's foreign policy, Juncker?
2: I do think that uh, one of the key elements, obviously, will be as kind of a red thread or as a green thread running through this government is going to be the climate topic um, that is also going to be present in the foreign policy dimension here. So we're going to see a very strong emphasis also on kind of climate and security, the, the climate constellations around security, rare earths, etc. Um, but the, I think the main nuance that we now find, the main difference that we find is uh, on the China and Russia front. Uh, I do think that that language is very different from what we found before. I went back to the last two coalition treaties earlier today and just looked at um, how China was framed then. It was still the strategic partner. um, And that strategic partner, that's definitely gone. And it is the systemic rival has sort of taken over from the strategic partner. And that is the coalition treaty oozes that. And that's really striking. And that's really new. And that is very much like a, you can see a lot of green signature there in that, in that coalition treaty when it comes to the China question. Yeah, and
1: I think the same is true when it comes to Russia. So there is a strong emphasis on the Eastern partnership, on Ukraine, on Belarus. All of these countries are mentioned first uh, and then Russia. And I think it's a very sober uh, analysis of, of Russia. So the coalition is no longer looking for good relations, uh, but they uh, they are looking for stable relations and constructive dialogue. Um, but they emphasize also the need for credible deterrence. They take the worries of the Central and Eastern European countries um, seriously. So and, and actually, um, yeah, they, they, they emphasize democratic backsliding or I mean, the kind of um, the fact that Russia is a fully authoritarian um, state right now, they actually they, they look at uh, what's going on domestically in, in Russia. They condemn strongly uh, the annexation of Crimea. And so, yeah, that's actually stronger
2: language than I had uh, expected. I think the precision is interesting because the few lines that are there on foreign policy, and if you look at the overall document, it's not that much in the end, um, but they are spent on Taiwan, they're spent on the South China Sea, they're spent on human rights violations in Xinjiang, all of that is in the treaty and and I think that does um, send a signal if it weren't there then if it wouldn't weren't, so, weren't so specific I think you know some of these words wouldn't mean that much but because they actually managed to to put some precision to to what that means what their new kind of value based more active human rights centered foreign policy should look like um I think that that's quite um, a new tone that is that has been struck here in berlin
0: so Rurisch Kiesavetta, the the um, CDU MP tweeted that inspired the fact that they were likely to be a green foreign minister. The SPD, the Social Democrats, is likely to dominate German foreign policy through control of the chancellery, the defence ministry, the development ministry. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, I think that under Annalena Baerbock, we will certainly see an attempt to bring back power to the uh, foreign ministry because uh, what we've seen actually, not only with um, Heiko Maas, but um, also already with Guido Westerwelle, was that the Chancellery uh, became more and more powerful and more and more interested also in, in, in foreign policy and that all the big portfolios were dealt with um, in the chancellery. So I think Annalena Baerbock as a foreign minister will try to, to undo this trend to a certain extent, but I think it will be very, very difficult because, um, because all the kind of Putins and Xi Jinping's and Bidens of this world want want to talk to the German chancellor and not the foreign minister. I think um, the chancellery will remain the powerhouse. And yeah, and they have, in addition, they have the defense ministry and the development ministry. And the the, the coalition treaty very much emphasizes this um, kind of whole of government foreign policy, so that um, c- kind of a very joined up approach. So it's important that all the ministries um, are kind of closely interlinked, but they also mention a strong role for the Chancellery in coordinating uh, European policy. So, so I think th- th- there will be some sort of tension between kind of the green powerhouse, the foreign ministry, and kind of the SPD led houses.
2: And I think, yeah, and I think, but what's important is that I think that's it's going to be part of a continued struggle over the... I think it's not set yet where where the power is going to fall, but... Permanent struggle. Yeah, permanent struggle for power over particularly a topic like China, which is going to be an across-the-government challenge. But I think what's striking is, or we have to probably take a look at, is the fact that the people around Scholz and Scholz himself have ample years of experience in how to run a government and how to also you know, work with a coalition partner and how to get things done the way you want them done. Whereas both the Greens and the FDP, most of the people that are going to join this government have zero government expertise and zero government experience. And it's going to be you know, harder for them to keep up with certain things that the Social Democrats want to push through.
0: So we'll talk, Jana, in a second about Europe and, and what the new coalition means for European policy. But just before we do that, Janka, to to follow up on that, like Annalena Baerbock spoke about a paradigm shift um, when she was talking at the press conference. The Greens don't just have the foreign ministry, they have the economics ministry, the environment ministry. But is that going to be enough for for implementing a a real paradigm shift on on Green issues, given that the FDP will be running the finance ministry and and obviously the SPD has a lot of structural power through its control of the chancery.
2: Yeah, but I think that the the issues that are most important for the Greens, like the Green transition, for example, are things that are now collectively accepted as this is where the government has to go. Um, And the decarbonisation agenda is one that is definitely kind of set in stone um, in this coalition treaty as well. So I'm pretty sure uh, that when it comes to the overall priorities, that this government is that they have set in this coalition treaty forward an agenda that is actually doable to do together and that they have agreed on a couple of things because they are so different and because they are not aligned on a lot of these issues, that this coalition treaty can work as a sort of guideline in that regard. So I do think that there is a lot of opportunity in this and that they can kind of move certain issues uh, forward. And on the China question in particular, um, that they have agreed on this language in the coalition treaty is to me the clearest sign that they have everyone on board for this, um, at least for the time being. You can't you know, really fall back very much behind that language. Um, it's going to be harder to also strike a completely different tone on the United States, for example, um, which it finds, I think, surprisingly positive mentioning in the coalition treaty of strong commitment to the transatlantic alliance.
0: It was very interesting um, when Olaf Scholz was talking about the, the relations with key neighbours, he said we have to bear in mind our friendship with France and our partnership with the United States, which in a way echoed some of the polling that we did where Europeans increasingly see the US as a necessary partner rather than a kind of friend or an ally. But let's talk a bit about Europe before we talk about the US. Yana, you are the one with the green pen who's gone through the coalition treaty. What do we learn about the sub- from the subchapter on the future of the European Union?
1: So we, we learned that the new coalition government um, wants to undo some developments that um, have been happening during the Merkel years. They want to basically strengthen um, not the European Council, but other uh, European institutions. Again, the European Parliament, the Commission, they put a, a lot of emphasis on the conference um, of the future of Europe. Um, they want the, to bring back the community method yeah, and, and they they mention all sorts of kind of ways how to strengthen um, the institution and how to strengthen basically Brussels. Uh. Of course, they also say that um, if progress is not possible uh, amongst everybody, they would go forward in coalitions of the willing with just a few member states. But the emphasis on.
0: And how much of this is just the normal virtue signaling that we get in every single coalition treaty, which always talks about European armies and all sorts of other stuff? But they, that don't they don't talk don't really about support. the European army, no, no, which no, I, I
1: think is a super big progress. It's a progress. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about more cooperation between. Yana had her eyes just yeah. on that. No, no, one. exactly. They talk about more cooperation between European armies, which I think is much, it's way better than the European okay. army. But they mentioned the Spitzenkandidat and and uh, transnationalists. And I think this is not just words. I think that is very dear to um, especially the Greens, but also the FDP. That's their vision um, of Europe. I think they are less uh in the Merkel camp, kind of whatever works, works, and let's do it kind of through the capitals. I think they really, yeah. And, yeah. and you
2: see the Europeanization idea running also throughout the text, also with regard to the China question, for example, where there is talk about a Europeanization of the current bilateral government consultations and a more embedding German-China policy in a European-China policy. So I think that's, that's really the kind of, that's the idea and the vision. And I think one thing that we should emphasize is um, the word respect was mentioned by all of the people that were um, kind of talking at the press conference. And I think the process in which this coalition treaty came together um, has demonstrated that. And if this is a signature policy that the, this new German government wants to bring forward, like bringing respect back into kind of policymaking, that would also be something that Europe would benefit from.
0: So we talked a lot about respect on the podcast before when we were talking to Jeremy Cliff um, and you, Jana, about the the election campaign. It'll be good maybe to talk a bit more about that later. But just sticking with Europe, it strikes me that a lot of the stuff does feel like kind of traditional German virtue signaling, which isn't really related to any hope that anything's going to happen. The Spitzenkandidat being the most obvious one where Angela Merkel and everybody committed themselves to it only to abandon it later on. Another example of this is the idea of of qualified majority voting on European foreign policy. Which is
1: in there again. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And it feels like one of these things that you put in to show that you're a good European, knowing full well that it's impossible to implement because somebody else will veto it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but we have this, I mean, what we see in the coalition treaty is, I think, um, a strong attempt to make uh, Europe um, a relevant actor in, in the world through all sorts of, of measures. Uh, QMB is just one of them. They also want to strengthen the EAS, the role of the high representative. They talk about a real EU foreign um, minister, but but they talk a lot about European sovereignty and, and they also have some concrete ideas um, how, to, how to get there. And so I think it's not just empty words uh, Or kind of institutions instead of real projects and
0: ideas. Why don't we stick with that? Because it's a favoured topic for for ECFR. We've done lots on European sovereignty. There is some very striking language, uh, both about the idea in, in general, but they also try and give it some life by talking about energy, health, rare earth, digital technologies, all parts of the ECFR Pentagon of Sovereignty that we've published in our different papers. But how much meat do you think there is there?
1: So... I mean, I stopped counting um, and I, I'm sure I've overlooked. Um,
0: Olaf Scholz did talk about European no, sovereignty yeah, twice, a few times even twice, the press conference.
1: Twice. And um, I found it uh, all over the coalition treaty. Um, Europe's strategic sovereignty, a sovereign Europe. Um, so I think there is a very clear commitment. It's about reducing um, kind of the dependence when it comes to critical technology um, they want to protect Europe without being protectionist. Um, they talk about um, yeah, critical investments, investment screenings. Um, actually, what, what, what's interesting is uh, that they don't talk about security and defense that much when they talk about European sovereignty. I don't know. How, I what, think that's what, in the what,
0: security and defense section. No, but, that was but, the, yeah. the explanation that I was given when I asked the people who've been negotiating it why there was so little of that.
1: <laughs> but but still I think it's interesting because when I mean when there are these definitions it's not not it's not the Macron way of thinking it's it's I think a very so it's, com- it's not a French
2: coalition no. treaty yes. either
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean I think the French uh, will be very happy when they when they read it and they they find the word european sovereignty all over the treaty but I think it's a very german understanding of it and it's not we ha- we ha- we really also need to assure our other allies that we are not going so kind of full french. french now <laughs> you're, also, you're
0: still german <laughs> yeah
1: that we are still, still
0: but one of the things that's maybe a bit less German is talking about European sovereignty is the stuff about 5G where the classic German way is, is not to talk about it or not to agree on it. Um, Juncker, there's a lot of language. It's one of your big topics of expertise. And there is some interesting language there which our listeners might not fully understand, about open source 5G slash 6G consortium. What does that mean for people who are less steeped in it? I'm
2: not 100% sure that they know what it means yet either. No, I'm just joking. But I do think that, so the talk before was very important um, that the FDP and the Greens were very clear about not having kind of Chinese involvement in 5G development. And there is a lot of conversation about how can you... Retain competitiveness in this field that is going to be so crucial for the development of our future infrastructures? How can you um, maintain kind of the European industrial base for that? But how can you also ensure that you are kind of part of the innovation cycles that are ongoing? Um, and open is a very difficult concept that I think we can't go into here on this podcast because I think if we start talking about Open RON and o and o no, no, alliances no, no, we, and everything, I think we will that hijack now. that. It's too, li-
0: it's too late. <laughs> Yanka, you can't get away with that. Say what open run is
2: no i think that really would take us a little bit too far here let's please not do that because i think we would then have the entire podcast about nothing else but um i think it is important that there is an initiative coming from the united states that um that european vendors are not entirely comfortable with and the question is where does public european funding go in the future do we invest in open source alternatives or do we invest in something that is currently called open run but that is um, away from far away from, from, from being open in the end so um, I think this is a lot about the question of how does standardization look in the future but this is also a pet subject of the FDP in terms of, kind of what is the digitalization agenda going to look like in the future um, and it is a lot about how can we maintain our kind of sovereignty in that space as well because if we then talk about a European cloud that is built on Chinese and American technology then that's obviously not the same you know that that doesn't equate European sovereignty then and so this is where the government will have to put a lot of work in as well.
0: Okay so Jana let's go to your favorite topic now defense and security policy. In uh, weeks and months before the election you have written quite a lot about what a traffic light coalition might do. Um, There were various fears expressed on our website by various policy fellows about nuclear sharing armed drones, etc. What do you think, having read the coalition treaty?
1: Um, Again, it's way better than I expected. There is a clear commitment uh, to NATO nuclear sharing um, and uh, the necessity to deter, um, as both are mentioned several times, so deterrence and... And the nuclear sharing um, agreement, the coalition uh, is even willing to procure a, a successor appliance for the um, kind of aging tornado i didn't expect such a clear commitment that's all very positive um, i mean that was carefully also balanced i think because the that i think that was very hard to swallow for some people in the green party and uh, parts of the SPD. So uh, to compensate them, there is also a commitment to join basically the the, the ban treaty conference uh, as an observer, which means uh, that Germany will need um, also to pay for, for that conference. Um, and this is actually something that NATO, the French, the you know, kind of the Americans, the Brits, the Poles, The
0: nuclear powers.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but also actually actually so I, I talked to a Swedish colleague today and she was also equally uh, sceptical. So I think a lot of allies are very sceptical about this kind of um, it's a limited plan. limited
0: amount of damage that you could do by but, going to a conference, even think, if you have to pay for
1: it. But Norway just decided to do this and they uh, kind of created some sort of shitstorm in NATO. But um, but I think, I think you need to, 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 to look at the two components. You cannot only look at the ban. So on the one hand, on decisions. the plus side, they support
0: <laughs> nuclear sharing. But on the bad side, they're going to go to a conference uh, <laughs> as an observer. Yeah,
1: no, 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 don't don't um, ridicule this. So I think overall, we don't see a commitment uh, to, to spend 2% on defence. Instead, we see uh, 3%. So in- this is
0: a very important thing, actually. Let, why don't we go a, a bit with that? Because 2% has been the ultimate death of any strategic debate in Germany because people position themselves on this issue and there's been an attempt to kind of reframe it by going to 3%, which in theory means... Actually, cryptically, 2% on defense, 0.7% on development, and 0.3% on foreign uh, and sort of intelligence stuff. It, they
1: keep it a bit more flexible, but they
0: But, have but it, do you think this is a real commitment? Because it does say langfristig, yeah. doesn't it? That's so, so, I, I, word. so
1: I'm not yeah. sure... Langfristig, in the, <laughs> in the long run. The long Project long
0: run. 3000.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm not so <laughs> Maybe sure... Maybe
0: after the European army has been formed, <laughs> we'll have 3% <laughs> spending on defense. I think defense. this
1: goes a little out of hand here right now. <laughs> um Anyhow, I think... No, that, seriously. No, seriously. I'm, I'm, I think it, it could have uh, gone worse. Yeah. So there is no clear commitment to the 2%. I would have loved to see it, but there is a commitment to um, fulfill NATO's capability pledges. I think there is a, a strong emphasis, as I said, on Germany's obligations in NATO, but also equally on um, diplomacy and development. And I think this is a good development. I can live with that 3% goal. Um, but how, I mean... How reliable all this is, I have no idea. But we and talk about the coalition treaty, yeah. not about the next. So another three weeks. thing in the
0: coalition treaty, which people got very worked up about beforehand, which seemed like a very German debate from from uh, to people outside of Germany, was this debate about weaponizing drones. It became almost theological. The coalition. Mm. Has come down in favour of weaponized drones. Yeah,
1: another thing that I think is very positive because finally I like we get a sense of surprise around <laughs> this coalition treaty. Yes, a lot because finally we <laughs> catch up with uh, kind of uh, the rest of basically uh, Europe, and yes, it's
2: all progress in the headline. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think yes, no, so. and
1: and this is a sign for progress. So, but. I think also here, the Greens and the SPD really came a long way. So I think this is very positive because that shows, and also the emphasis on kind of the, the worries in Central and in Eastern Europe, a kind of their threat perception. I think it shows that...
0: They're going to be really worried about these weaponized drones coming from Germany into no, Polish airspace. They have
1: been very worried because we <laughs> refuse to procure them. And I think now this is kind of... I think overall, uh, I'm I'm actually pretty pleased with the security and defence chapter. Cool. And it's hard to please Yano, generally. (laughs) It is.
2: We can can be very happy.
0: (laughs) But um, just before we go on to the rest of the world and China and uh, as part of that, obviously, Yanka, um, do you think that the traffic light coalition is going to be more or less willing to get militarily engaged in the world? The kind of stereotype about... The Social Democrats and the Greens is that they don't like fighting wars, but actually, interestingly, most of the yeah,
1: they did, yeah.
0: <laughs> most of the serious wars Germany's got involved with were led by German and Greens, but, but that was it?
1: not by choice, but by necessity. I mean, it was not that who the, 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 who declares a war the, by the by red, choice. The Red Green <laughs> Coalition was not super <laughs> eager back then to join the the Kosovo War, but then they they had to. And I think if you look at the coalition treaty this time, what you what you find about crisis management and intervention, this is pretty. Careful. Stuff, so they they are so not overly enthusiastic. You see, actually, the lessons learned from Afghanistan. So you
0: think would be more or less they, likely than this no, one?
1: yeah, less
2: likely. Less but
1: likely. You unless,
2: agree? unless reality kicks in. I was going to say, I, I think it yeah. really very much depends on circumstances, yeah. and and like it was during the red green government where no one was keen on doing that but where kind of um, the conditions uh necessitated certain form of action um i think you will see a lot of reluctance on the side um of of this government to to engage um militarily but you see that i mean that's more a global trend already i would say now that we can we can speak of global trend
0: overlaid with a german um sensibility which is kind of natural okay so let's go to the world now how do we see relations with China in the future. We talked a little bit about the the kind of aggressive language, but do you think that, um, because that was in the foreign policy section, did you read the economic sections as well? Is that going to be, Aligned or decoupled from the complaints about Xinjiang and um, and Taiwan and other issues.
2: I think what you can see as as kind of going through again um, in in the entirety of the coalition treaty is that this there is a stronger understanding of the competitiveness that I mentioned here, where it is about kind of being able to create um, prosperity in the future. We have to accept a degree of competitiveness in the world. And we have to understand that a kind of competitiveness also means that we are um, in not only a system competition with China, but also an economic competition with China.
0: And one of the things that presumably you're quite happy about, Janko, is that for the first time, I think, in German history, there is a paragraph on the Indo-Pacific in a coalition.
2: There thing. is. And I think that really does say something about Germany's commitment to the diversification agenda in terms of its relations in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, the Indo-Pacific strategy was launched by the last government, but this is also a sort sign of kind of being willing not to only carry it on, but actually give it more weight. Um, And this is strongly supported also by German industry. This is supported by many voices within all three governing parties that Germany needs the growing economies of the Indo-Pacific region, including China, for its future prosperity. But it, it also understands that it cannot put all the eggs in the China basket because that is not going to serve German interests well and European interests well in the long run.
0: Okay, well, maybe we should sort of, we talked a bit about Russia. Um, in fact, maybe I think maybe we should do Russia quickly because I want to end with the US, which is obviously the key relationship historically for, for Germany and, and something which has been subject to quite intense and interesting soul-searching over recent years, particularly during the Trump era, but even post-Trump. But on Russia, Yano, what did you think about the paragraphs on, on Russia? You said earlier that you thought they were a bit more hawkish than some people feared they'd be.
1: Yeah, I think they are quite um, balanced. They have the strong emphasis on um, the domestic situation in in Russia. They give visa-free travel, they allow visa-free travel for people under 25, which I think um, has, has been uh, something that the kind of Russia watchers in Germany have been asking for for a very long time um, because they, they actually, and I think the coalition um, treaty or the coalition will be very clear about it, it's not about the Russian people, it's not about civil society. They want to remain engaged. They
0: want to be with, nice to Russian society, you know, Nasty yeah. Putin and,
1: and they, yeah they want to they want to strengthen <laughs> to civil civil society Gulf in Russia and I think this is a very good idea also to give this um, to allow visa free travel so they have this uh, component they have the right wordings I think on Ukraine and uh, what's on, the right wording <laughs> <laughs> they condemn it, they condemn basically the annexation they of Crimea cr-
0: cr- Ukraine strongly or the annexation <laughs> no, of <Ukraine>. the
1: annexation <laughs> and uh, kind of the uh, Russian action uh, in in the Donbass. Donbas. and but then at at the other hand of course they they say that they see um russia still as as their neighbor they want to uh, cooperate um they seek good relations but they are i think they don't have any illusions about okay. about Russia, and and, what, what, and there is a promise. Let me finish. There is this promise <laughs> not to not to do Russia policy, a kind of business with Russia over the heads of the Central and Eastern European member states, and this is a long-standing fear in that region. So I think that the coalition is pretty clear what they prioritize. They prioritize their good relationship with their neighbors in the European Union.
0: Okay, so um, and on on the US, um, anything to be seen there? Anything interesting and new?
2: I found it just in terms of the the framing of it really interesting that um, there is this kind of strong transatlantic vibe um, that that comes from this and that Olaf Scholz even in the press conference mentioned uh, our partnership the partnership. Our friendship. Well, I mean, I think I would not kind of mince words there. I do think that um, I think it's, it's really important that this was phrased. I mean, if you remember that for a long time in the past few years we have been saying. China, Russia, and the United States when talking about major problems, uh, and and that was kind of that weird combination of words. And now it's back in the kind of France and the U.S. camp. Um, that's much that's much more kind of transatlantic than we've seen uh, before. And and I think it is so. If I were sitting in Beijing right now, I would be. You know, not so worried maybe about the concrete language that is found on concrete kind of topics in the Indo-Pacific, but the clear commitment to coordinating work with the United States um, and to coordinating policies with the United States around these questions, that's something that I would be more concerned about. Um, and uh, I was not expecting the language to be that clear around these issues.
0: What about you, Yano? did you think of the language on transatlantic? So,
1: I, I think the language is okay, given that this coalition is not um, a transatlanticist coalition by default. So, looking at the parties and their history, and kind of the history of their relationship with the United States, it's not um, free of conflicts. Looking especially at, at the Greens, but also at the at the SPD, and I think looking uh, comparing it to I don't know to, to the past I don't know thirty years of party history and what comes out of the coalition right now is is very positive. At the same time, I think you see um, when, when you look at how often they emphasize Europe's strategic sovereignty, I think that is also true vis-a-vis the United States. I think you will see less um, kind of reflexes that we've seen in the kind of grand coalition from people like AKK um, always kind of when we talk about sovereignty or strategic autonomy mentioning that this cannot be directed against the United States I think this will stop actually I think there is a new more grown-up yeah or maybe a new I don't know a new self uh, assurance a new a new kind of yeah maybe more grown-up or more kind of more confident. Mature, Mature, more hopeful uh, when it comes to what Europe can be in this world. At the same time, they emphasize uh, NATO. They say they want to build the European pillar in NATO. They want to have close cooperation between NATO and EU. They want fair burden sharing. So it's about a grown up partnership, I would say.
0: Excellent. Well, what a wonderful place to end with this grown up foreign policy and a grown up partnership. It's been great talking to the two of you. Normally, we would have one thing left to do on this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. But it's quite obvious that all of our bookshelves are going to be full of the coalition treaty. And we'll put up a link to that (laughs) on our website at www.ecfr.eu. And um, hopefully, all of you will read it as closely as as Jana did. um, Because that, I think, is, is going to be essential to understand the future of German and European foreign policy.
2: And we um, should revisit this in a year's time and sit back in this very spot here. Under um,
0: your, uh, in, your, in your son's bedroom.
1: Yeah, and, check, uh, and check whether our enthusiasm was actually justified. Because the proof is in the pudding, as they say in English. And so it's only a coalition treaty. I mean, it's not nothing more, but nothing less. So.
0: Okay, we'll see you all in, again <laughs> yeah. in November 2022 in Janka's son's bedroom. But for now, from Janke Atle, Jana Pulierin and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of this episode is Lucy Halpenthal and our editor is Alessandra Thompson.